We are going to conclude our series this morning called The Case for Christ. If you're a guest today, this is the last message in the series, but don't worry, it'll make sense as a standalone message. The Case for Christ is a book that was written, and later a movie was developed about it. By the way, you can go home and watch it today if you have On Demand, Xfinity On Demand. It's one of the On Demand movies now. But anyhow, uh, it's a story about a young attorney who was very successful named Lee Strobel, who worked for the Chicago Tribune. And he was an atheist, his wife was an atheist, but as the Lord reached out to this family, first his wife came to faith in Jesus. Now this caused a lot of problems in their relationship. So he set out to use his journalistic skills to debunk this idea of Jesus and the resurrection and Christianity and the gospel. And he spent two years using his skills to debunk Christianity, and at the end of the two years, all the evidence pointed towards the reality and toward the truth of Jesus Christ, and he himself became a believer. Now, we know here at the bridge, because we've had other series that have talked about Jesus and who he is and why it's not blind faith that we follow him, but because there's a lot of great evidence to follow him. But what do we do with that? That's what I want to talk about today. What do we do with the case for Christ? How do we make it impactful in the lives of other people? Well, I want to start today by taking us back to the very first recorded sermon of Jesus. It's in Matthew chapter 5, and it's often called the Sermon on the Mount. And in one section of this sermon, Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth, but the salt loses its saltiness. How can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. He goes on to say, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, what's Jesus saying here? What's Jesus trying to communicate? Here's what he's saying. If you really want to be my follower, if you really love me, if you really want to have an impact in the kingdom of heaven, if you really want to use this life to prepare for eternity, he says, first of all, he says, I want you to live a salty life. He says, I want you to live a life that will make other people thirsty to know more about God, to more about Jesus. Then he says, I want you to be light. I want your presence to illuminate your love for me and illuminate your faith in me wherever you go so that other people know that in a world that increasingly is saying there is no God, that's a bunch of bunk, I want them to know that I'm alive and I'm alive in you and I'm alive through you. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, being willing to be salt and light opens the door to all kinds of amazing adventures. You really don't understand how important you are to God. Now, I know you got a lot of negative messages going on in your head, and we all have them. I've got them, you've got them, they're all there because people put them there. And Satan tries to keep them there. But let me tell you, you are important to God. God can use you in ways you can't begin to fathom. But we need to put ourselves in a place where God can use us that way. 
If we don't put ourselves out there, if we don't make ourselves available to God, then he's not going to force us to do anything. Now, you remember in the story and in the movie, there was a, a woman named Alfie. She was a woman who wanted to be salt and light for Jesus Christ and lived her life in such a way where that was always at the forefront of her thinking. Let me remind you. Let's take a look at the clip. Do you see what God just did there? That's what God wants to do in your life. That's what God wants to do in my life. In the most unexpected ways, at the most unexpected time. Here, this lady, Alfie, a nurse. She and her husband were just going out to dinner like I'm sure they did many times, as we do many times. And this particular night, something told her. We know what that something is. It's not a something, it's a someone. It's called the Holy Spirit. He's called the Holy Spirit. He lives in every believer. And the Holy Spirit said, I don't want you to go to that restaurant that you're thinking about going to. I want you to go to this restaurant. And see, what God was doing was positioning her to be at a place where he was going to be able to use her as salt and light. Now, obviously, she, she jumped up and she used her medical training to help a choking child. And it was the child of Lee and Leslie Strobel who, who wrote the story. And the story is all about. But did, did you notice what happened beyond the fact that she just intervened in the, 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 the crisis that was at hand? Leslie said, wow, we were really lucky you were here. And she said, it wasn't luck. It was Jesus. See, she could have just walked away and said, oh, don't mention it, don't worry. And she got on back to her table and ate, and they gone back to their table and ate, and nothing would have happened. But she said, no, it was Jesus. See, my husband and I weren't even going to be here tonight, but Jesus had us come here. And she, basically for that reason. Now, because Alfie was willing to be salt and light and give God the glory, not herself the glory, in that moment of time, just think what happened. Ultimately, Leslie Strobel became a believer in Jesus Christ. Leslie came to the hospital where Alfie works to give her a thank you present. Alfie talked to her about the Lord again, invited her to church. Leslie became a believer, and ultimately, Leslie was able to lead her own atheist husband to faith in Jesus Christ. 
that husband went on to become a great evangelist and a great, a great preacher and today has reached through his story and his messages literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people around the globe. And it all started with one woman named Elfie who was living her life to be salt in life. I want you to know, that's how God wants to use you. Just think about that. What happened? Because she was salt and light. And just think about what can happen in your life just because you're willing to be salt and light. God can use it in ways you can't even imagine. No way Elfie thought that night anything more was going to come of that. But that event set a series of dominoes falling that have literally impacted the whole world for the cause of Christ and has impacted eternity for the cause of Christ. So Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Say this with me. I am the salt of the earth. Say it again. I am the salt of the earth. All right, now believe that. Own that. Say this. I am the light of the world. You are. I hope you're just not saying, I want you to believe it. I want you to own it because it's true. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It's who God has made you through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in other words, if anyone has trusted Jesus Christ as his or her Savior, says he or she is a new creation. God radically changed you the moment you trust that Christ is your Savior. Says the old has gone. All that hopelessness, all that, that person who was living under the penalty of sinfulness, all that, 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 that person who you used to be is gone forever. And it says what? The new has come. The new, the Holy Spirit has come. And God's passion to use you as salt and light has come. And all you have to do is position yourself to do that. So Jesus says first, you are the salt of the earth. Now, I, I, I got to stop because you're, you're not going to get this. Because so we go, oh, okay, yeah, he's using an analogy. He's using a metaphor or the salt of the earth. No, we can't appreciate what Jesus' words are in the 21st century like they would have appreciated in the first century. Because they had an entirely different relationship with salt than we have. Jesus just didn't just say, oh, you're, uh, oh, you're the salt of, of the earth. Oh, you're mm, the light of the world. Jesus was very deliberate in the words that he used to the people in the first century. See, the Greeks called salt theon, which is the Greek word for divinity. They, they thought that it had a divine nature to it, salt did. The Romans held that except for the sun, remember they worshiped the sun, that was their main god, their main deity was the sun god, that except for their sun god, nothing was more valuable in life than salt was. In fact, it was so valuable that the Romans used to pay their soldiers in part with salt. That was part of their wages, that was part of their benefit package, which they gladly received, by the way. In fact, that's where the expression, it's not worth his salt, comes from. They would say, man, we give him salt, we pay him salt, he's not worth it, he's not doing his duty, he's not doing his job, he's not worth his salt. 
It was used as a mark of friendship in the first century. I mean, that day, you went to a baby shower, you went to a wedding shower, you went to a birthday or an anniversary, and you gave that person salt. You gave me salt? Salt? I I can't believe you gave me salt. They would go crazy over it. It was used to bind contracts, legal contracts. At the end of signing the document, they would exchange salt, and that was the guarantee because it was so valuable that both sides were saying, I will guarantee that I will keep and hold to my word in this contract. See, so when Jesus says salt, he's not thinking about the way we would think about it today. He's saying it was one of the most valuable commodities in the ancient world, and that's how they would have received it. It was we're salt? Really, Jesus? No, really? We're salt? Do you get the idea? And now, now put, transport yourself back to the first century and say, I am the salt of the earth. Okay, get it now? You're the salt of the earth. Now, how does that play out? How do we act as the salt of the earth? How do we be the salt of the earth in the 21st century? Well, there's several characteristics of salt that tell us how we should act it out, how we should play it out. The first is, as salt, we're agents of purity in the world. We're supposed to be agents of purity. Salt's brilliant whiteness caused the Greeks and the Romans to view it as the perfect example of purity. It's brightness, it's whiteness. They said nothing can be more pure than salt, which is probably one of the reasons they ascribed divine attributes to it. 1 Peter 2.12 says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now, if you're living a salt-in-life kind of life. Understand this. People are going to attack you for it. Not everyone is going to rejoice and celebrate that with you. That's what Peter's saying. He's saying, however, if you live your life as salt, if you live your life with purity, their accusations aren't going to stick. They're going to bounce right off. Because they themselves will know that's not you. And others will come to your defense and say, that is not right. That is not accurate. I know her. I know him. And that is not true about their character. See, we're to be agents of purity, to live our lives in a pure way that characterizes itself that by accusations against us cannot hold up. We're also, as salt, to be agents of preservation. Another reason salt was so valuable in the first century was it was a food preservative. It was the chief food preservative, that and smoking, especially meats. That's how they would make it last for a long time. They would heavily salt it to preserve it. Mark 8.35 says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. See, in this world that we live in, we're to be agents of preservation. Here's the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is there is a life after this life. We believe that, and we believe it because the Bible declares it, and we believe it as studies we have done here at the bridge. We see all kinds of evidences that that's true, even extra-biblical evidences. That means evidences outside of the Bible. 
And therefore, we're going on to something. And that something, Scripture says, is a judgment. And most people in the world are not living with any conscious understanding of that. They're just blowing through life. That's why Jesus is, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever wants to live it for this life and wants to live it for fame and wants to live it for money and wants to live it for material things and wants to live it for this or that and the other, they say they're really losing their life. Because this life is a blink. It's a snap of the fingers. As the book of James says, it's like a mist that appears for a moment and then vanishes away. That's why Jesus goes on to say, those who want to live their life for me, those who want to be salt and light for me, they'll find their life because that's what I'm going to reward people for in eternity. You know, forgiveness of sin and our salvation is not God's reward to us. That's his gift to us. Pardoning our sin and giving us the promise of eternal life with him, that's not a reward for how we live our lives. That's a gift. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, for it's by grace you're saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the what, church? Gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him will never perish, but have eternal life. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. Okay, that's something God gives us. What he's going to reward us for is the way we use this life and for our willingness to be salt and light. That's what he'll reward us for. Chuck Colson, who was the Watergate scandal guy, later became a believer in Christ and started Prison Ministry Fellowship and many other organizations, said this, in postmodernism, there is no objective, universal truth. There's only perspective of the group, whatever that group may be, African-Americans, women's gays, Hispanics, the list goes on and on and on and on. There's all kinds of groups out there. He says, in postmodernism, all viewpoints, all lifestyles, all beliefs and behaviors are regarded as equally valid. Institution of higher learning have embraced this philosophy so aggressively that they have adopted campus codes enforcing what? Political correctness. And we see this playing out rampant in our society and our culture today of how this is playing out now. See, because the world says, just live life any way you want. Because there's no absolutes, there's no truth, there's no accountability for life. Just live it any way you want. Any lifestyle, any philosophy, any culture, any viewpoint, any behavioral system is equally valid. But that's not what Scripture says. God has given us guidelines for living life. And we need to be agents of preservation. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. In other words, he wants you to be an agent of preservation to preserve the truth of life and death and eternity and Jesus. We're to be agents of flavor. That's another great thing about salt. I, I, I was speaking about it, I don't know, a few weeks ago. I can't even remember the context of it. But I was talking to you about how you go to restaurants and you see the waiter or the waitress bring the food and they stick it down in front of somebody. And before they even lift the fork, they're like salting that thing like crazy, you know. 
Some people just love salt, and more of it, the better. Why? Because it adds flavor, see? See? That's what it does. Psalm 34, 8, and says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Whenever you see blessed in the Old Testament, you, you can read it as, Oh, happy, euphoric is the man who takes refuge in him. So taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, how are people going to taste and see that the Lord is good? Because a lot of people don't think the Lord is good. They think the Lord is, is restrictive and the, and the Lord is oppressive and the Lord is this and that and judgmental and hate, filled with hate. Well, how are they going to taste and see that the Lord is good? They're going to do that partially through us because we are the flavor. We're salt. We're flavor. Christianity is the life. What salt is the food. It lends flavor to life. Now, historically, there are times when we haven't done this very well. That we haven't been flavor to the world. Way back in the Roman Empire, Emperor Julian penned this. Have you looked at these Christians closely? Hallowed-eyed, pale-cheeked, flat-breasted all. They brood their lives away. Unspurred by ambition, the sun shines for them, but they do not see it. The earth offers them its fullness, but they desire it not. All their desire is to renounce and to suffer that they may come to die. I mean, he's looking at Christians. He's going, yes, yeah, so check these Christians out. They're some of the most dark, pessimistic people walking the face of the earth. All they want to do is die so they can go on to someplace that they think is going to be better. Oh, my goodness. I hope people don't see that in me. I hope they don't see it in you. Walking around. Instead of Jesus says, oh, man. Come to church this morning. Oh, man. Maybe he'll kill me with the sermon today. I can go be with the Lord. Man, you know. Oliver Wendell Holmes, who was a great statement and a great attorney, once said this. He said, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. Man. All right, let me give you a hint. That's not being an agent of flavor, right? That's the exact opposite. We need to live life in such a way that even during the hard times, we praise God. In the hard times, our faith is strong. It don't mean we don't cry because hard times hurt and we get emotional, but what it means is we just go on with Jesus and we go on praising Jesus and we go on letting people know that I'm trusting Jesus and somehow Jesus is gonna make this right. See? That's being an agent of flavor. We're to be agents of healing. Salt was one of the, the most prevalent antiseptics of the day. When they'd get cuts or bruises or that, they'd pour salt in that wound. Now, that hurts, right? And thank the Lord, he's given us new things that we don't have to pour salt in our wounds. But I'm here to tell you, salt still is the best thing for, for a lot of things. You get a canker sore in the mouth, that, that's my remedy. I just pull that baby out there and I shot that thing. And I dance around a little bit until the pain subsides. But man, it makes that canker sore go away like that. And see, so salt is to be a healing agent. It's to bring healing to people. 
2 Corinthians 2, verses 14 through 16, says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph procession in Christ. Now, I, I got to stop there and say it. We got to celebrate that. You know what that means? That says, if we live for Christ, he's always going to make it work out to where we win. We win. Through the pain, through the, through the trials, through, no matter what, we, in the end, we're going to win. He's going to make sure that happens. <clears throat> Spread everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to find the fragrance. We're healing agents. Now, not everyone wants to get healed. So he says, to one, we're the smell of death. To the other, the fragrance of life. See, some people don't want to get healed, and they don't want any agent of salt to bring healing to their life. They want to go on living the way they want to live. But there are far more people, in my experience, who don't want to live the way they're living. They're not happy with their guilt. They're not happy with their shame. They're not happy with, with, with the oppression that that kind of lifestyle brings, and they want relief from it. And we can be an agent of healing. We can show them how through Jesus Christ they can be healed. We're to be the light of the world, Jesus goes on to say. Now, I wonder, those two metaphors basically describe the same thing. Jesus says, oh, you're, you're the salt of the earth. Oh, you're the light of the world. Now, I'm here to tell you, again, Jesus chose his words very specifically and very purposely. Salt is hidden in the food. You don't see it. You taste it, but you don't see it. Light's obvious. Go into a dark room, turn on a light. You, you know it's there. Salt see, works secretly. It blends in with the food that we eat. But light works openly. Salt works primarily through our living. That's really important to understand. When Jesus said you're the salt of the earth, primarily he's speaking about your behavior. He's speaking about the way you carry yourself. He's speaking about your, your Christian life, your Christian living, the way you live your life. Where light works primarily through what we profess and what we declare, what we verbally share. So salt is the indirect influence of the gospel that people see just by watching us. Light is more the direct communication of the gospel. We have to do both. We need to be that light of the world. We, as salt, set the example. We retard moral decay and we add flavor to life. But, but don't miss this. Those things are not enough in and of themselves to illuminate the path for anyone to get eternal forgiveness and eternal life. Some of us think that, I'll just live my life. Great, do that, be salt. But sometimes God needs us to pull the trigger and be light also. See, unbelievers are not going to find their way to eternal life merely by watching our life. We have to guide them. God needs us to be guiding lights. Romans 10, 14 says, How can they call on the one of whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Now, don't sit there and go, Oh, now it's talking to you, Pastor. You're the preacher. No, that's not what it's saying preaching in the sense of sharing the gospel. And all of us, what did Peter say earlier? We're all a royal priesthood. Don't call me reverend, call yourself reverend. See, we're, we're God's mobile temple. We're the least effective when we're here, by the way. We're the most effective when we're back out there. 
if we're living salt and light, see? So Paul says, well, how can all these people taste and see that the Lord is good if no one's talking about the Lord, if no one's living for the Lord, if, if, no, one's, if no one's being light out there? See, we need to be like, like out there in the channel. If you come in at night, out there from the ocean or in the coastal, you got buoys and they have lights on them. And, and mariners know which color light is which side and where to stay in between those. And then we have lighthouses to warn vessels that they're getting too close to shore. See, that's what we're supposed to be in the world. Guiding lights. And we're also supposed to be warning lights. Warning people about what's to come. We need to warn them. What Proverbs 14, 12 says, that there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. And that's where the world is living today. They're living with all this pluralism and all this, this postmodernism that says there's no one lifestyle, there's no one right, there's no accountability. It's just whatever's right to you, that's right to you, and, and just live your life. That's exactly what Scripture's talking about. And a lot of it seems right. It seems fair. It seems sensitive, but it's the wrong road. And it leads to destruction. We need to warn them of Satan's destructive desires. Look what John 10.10 says. The thief comes only. Now, don't miss that word. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The thief, who he's talking about? Talking about Satan. Understand, Satan's desire is to take us down. His main desire is to keep us from ever hearing about Jesus Christ and trusting Christ as our Savior so he can take us down eternally. Once we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, he can't take us down eternally, but he still wants to take us down so that we can't be salt and light in the world. We need to warn of sin's destructive consequences. How many of you have felt that sting personally? Man, I have. When we've done it the wrong way, I'll tell you what it hasn't produced. It hasn't produced what we thought it would produce and some kind of euphoric excitement. It leaves us with guilt and shame and broken relationships. See, we need to warn people that God loves us, and he's not a God of restriction. He's not an oppressive God. He's, he's a liberating God, and he knows what is going to destroy us. He knows what is going to oppress us. He knows what is going to enslave us. And he is our light, see. He, he guides us, and he warns us. And in return, he wants us to be guiding and warning lights to others. So what's Jesus' message as we conclude this series? It's this. You are the salt of the earth. You are. It's not whether you volunteer to be. It's not whether you say, well, maybe I'll think about it. You already are. You already are the light of the world. Just like he used Alfie, he can use you. It'll come at the most unexpected time. It, 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 I have testimonies all the time. People come up and say, you won't believe what just happened to me. And I love to hear the story, so I won't think, but I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I will. Yeah, I will. And I love hearing the stories. I love seeing the bright eyes and the big smiles and say, you know what God just did? Yeah, God did this, and God was here, and I was just... And, 
And God is always at work. And God is always at work not only in your life, but in many other people's lives, especially in the lives of people who have yet to come to faith in Christ. And he positions us around to be at certain places just to be salt, to live the kind of life that people go, now there's a a woman with character. Now there's a guy who's got integrity. Man, I'd like to be like that. Or maybe even to be light, to say, you know what? Jesus loves you. And Romans 10 9 says, if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See? Now, if we lose that individually, or if we lose that, Scripture says, collectively, then how is anybody going to hear? How will there be salt in the world? How will there be light in the world? It's us or it's no one. Bridge, I really want to challenge us this next year. As we start looking at the end of 2017, can you believe that? That's, that's going to be coming up before we know it. And we start 2018. I want to challenge us to more aggressively than we've ever done in our history to reach men, women, boys, and girls for Jesus Christ. Let, let, let's, let's be salt. Let's be light. Let's bring people to, to a church that still stands for the word of God that still preaches it unembarrassingly, unequivocally, unashamedly. And we live it as the family of God. 